Hey everyone, I just wanted to give you a bit of an update as to what's been going on before I start the episode. Uh, my mom passed away last week, so that's been uh, pretty difficult. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to clear out a lot of the stuff in the house and trying to, I guess, just deal with all the things that need to be done. But I'm doing okay. I've got lots of support. So I'm actually feeling pretty okay about everything right now. Of course, I'm still very sad. So yeah, this has been pretty difficult. I haven't been able to upload as much as I'd like, and I don't know that I will be able to be as consistent as usual, uh, but I will try to uh, upload regularly. Uh, this episode is actually going up today, which is Tuesday, so it's a bit different than um, when I usually post, because I usually try to post on Friday mornings. I will be going back to that for uh, next week, but I thought it was important just to get the episode out so that you could uh, get a new get a new show and also that you could kind of know what's been going on and why I haven't been as regular. But but for right now, on with the show. Greetings and hello fellow Trekkies. Welcome back to another episode of Yelling About Star Trek. My name is Christian Fox and this is the show where I yell at you about all things Star Trek for your amusement so I'm not yelling at my friends and family who don't want to hear my thoughts and theories on this fantastic franchise. Today I want to talk about one Lieutenant Commander Worf and his experience of growing up with human parents and talk about how that sort of helped me process my own experience of being adopted. But before we get into into all of that, make sure you get out of your space pajamas, put on your shiniest pair of boots, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, maybe some iced tea if you want to pull the archer maneuver, embrace her impact because things are about to get nerdy. So Commander Worf, he's a guy that I like to talk about a lot. I love Worf and as you know from my other videos and other podcasts that I like to make fun of him and I like to tease him because Worf is the kind of guy that you can poke fun at a lot of times because of his delivery of dialogue that is kind of amusing but also just because of his tendency to always get beat up and that's something that everybody talks about so I always like to talk about Worf and kind of laugh about some of his more humorous aspects of the character but ultimately I do love the character and in fact not only do I love him but like so many characters on Star Trek he's a character that I've a identified with on a personal level because like Worf I'm adopted and for those of you who don't know and I don't know why you would because I haven't got into a lot of explanations about that in the past but I am Dominican I was born in the Dominican Republic my parents were Dominican but at a very young age I would say maybe six months or so I'm not quite sure I was adopted by my Canadian family and for all intents and purposes, my Canadian family is white. And not that there aren't other cultures in Canada, but when you think of your average stereotypical Canadian, you usually picture them as a white person. So I come from that kind of family. Whatever you think of the most generic stereotypical Canadian family, that's kind of what I come from. So that has definitely influenced how I've grown up just because of where I was growing up and by who was raising me. And of course, I want to say this right off the bat. I'm not saying anything negative about them because I am truly blessed to have the family that I do. In my last episode, I talked about my grandparents and how they were able to put up with my trekkiness. I've mentioned my mom on and off, and she's someone who is just so incredible 
and special to me in ways that I can't even describe, and I definitely cannot describe on a podcast. But needless to say, I've been very blessed by the family that I have. As with most things in life, there were definitely some challenges. So for myself, I found that while being Dominican, but by growing up in a white family, and I say, and I'm using air quotes right now, and I'm just describing that because, of course, if you're listening to it on a podcast, you can't see it, but I'm using air quotes because I don't love the way it sounds when I say a white family. It's perhaps a little bit racist, but, you know, just calling it what it is. I was raised by a white family, and so this has definitely had an impact on me. But of course, there are definitely challenges. But of course, as with anything, there were definitely some challenges. Now, for me, one of the things about being Dominican is that I am a visibly different color, so I have you know, darker skin. I actually found out that at work I'm called the light-skinned guy, which is a whole other uh, discussion for another time. But so people could see that, yeah, I was Latino and I had darker skin. And so they expected that I would sound a certain way. But when I would open up my mouth and say something, I would sound like I was raised by a traditional, generic, stereotypical white Canadian family. And of course, there are, again, there's some connotations around that, which are probably worthy of further discussion, but that's how I sounded. So in high school, I used to always get the question, hey, Chris, why do you sound so white? And it is definitely a racist question, but I never really was offended by it. I just thought, okay, yeah, I can see how that can throw people off. And I would explain that, hey, I'm adopted, uh, I'm Dominican, but my parents are white. So, you know, maybe that answers your question. So I always get that growing up. I especially got that in high school. And and that was something that I always faced growing up and still face from time to time. I got those kind of questions a lot, especially in high school. And, you know, there were some times outside of that that I would get questioned, uh, for example, when I'd be traveling with my grandparents, or my mom, or, or actually the whole gang of them, and we'd be traveling through the airports, airport security would always stop me and say, hey, uh, what, what's going on? And then when I got older, I would just say, uh, it's a long story, but I'm adopted. And they go, all right, cool, move along, no problem. And so those were little things that happened on and off. And for the most part, as I said, I never really felt like I was that different, but those were some things that happened that would kind of take me out of that and make me go, oh, right, I am different than my than my family. And, you know, that was a situation that wasn't, well, wasn't solely unique to me, wasn't something that I saw very much of, and definitely wasn't something that I saw on TV, with the exception, of course, of Star Trek The Next Generation, and specifically Worf. And Worf as I talked about in, I think, my very first episode, was the very first character in Star Trek that I had seen. I was maybe one or two, I maybe a baby, I'm not sure, but my mom was watching TNG. Worf showed up, I cried, and that moment always stuck with me because his forehead was terrifying, especially to a kid. But when I got older, and by older I mean five or seven years old, and I started watching more episodes, I started to realize that I had a lot in common with this Worf guy. Because, well, like me, Worf was adopted. And like me, Worf was definitely very different from his adopted parents. As I said, I'm Dominican. My parents are white, Canadian. So there's a racial difference. But Worf, on the other hand, wasn't just a different color, but he was a different race. Worf was Klingon and his parents were human. So seeing him struggle with that and 
have to constantly deal with that on a day-to-day basis help me process my own experience in a way that helped me understand it more and helped me understand that, okay, what I'm feeling is a natural thing to be feeling in this situation. And specifically what I found so helpful about seeing Worf going through this was how some of my own family members sort of dealt with me. I don't want to say they didn't do anything negative. They were always very supportive. And for more background, my uncle, who actually was integral with getting me adopted, he is Canadian, you know, my mom's sister, but his wife is actually Dominican. But his wife, my aunt, is actually Dominican. And so she was raised in the Dominican Republic. And when my parents were trying to adopt, she said, hey, she spoke to my uncle and they got everything figured out. So so I'm always very grateful for the two of them having basically helped me come to Canada and helped shape my life the way it is. But because she's Dominican and she's very proud of the culture, which why shouldn't she be? I mean, it's a great culture, a great heritage, and I understand why she was proud of it. But she always kind of felt like I should be more Dominican and should learn more about my heritage. And, you know, my cousins, they all speak Spanish. They all understand Dominican culture a lot better than I do. I don't speak Spanish. So there was always a feeling, at least I always felt that they wanted me to become more Dominican and for me to embrace my heritage more than I have. And that's kind of an awkward feeling. It's not something that everybody experiences, but it's definitely something that, you know, you hear about. But seeing Worf having to constantly prove to other Klingons that he is a hardcore Klingon and, you know, dealing with someone like Kern who says, hey, you're 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 comfortable, you're a federation, you're too Starfleet, you're too human, you do this, you're too that, and him having to prove that, hey, no, I was raised by humans, but I am still Klingon. My heart beats of a Klingon. I hear the call of a warrior, you know, all of that stuff. I I related to because I felt that in my own life. And seeing Warp having to deal with this made me realize that you know what? It's not just something that is only happening to me, but it's something that can happen to anyone in this situation. And I don't even know really how to explain it, but somehow naming that and seeing Worf going through these kinds of things and having to prove himself in that way has helped me understand my own feelings more. I'm not even sure what kind of clarity I have gained from it. I don't really have any amazing insights. It's just somehow seeing Worf going through that helped me process it. And even when I talk about Canadian culture, and I know Canadian culture is is eclectic because we're Canada and we have people from, you know, all over the world in Canada. And so it's not just one culture. But when I say Canadian culture, I mean kind of, again, this stereotypical what you think of. And for the most part, I feel like I fit in with the culture. I'm very much Canadian, but there are some times where I don't feel that way because I don't really care about patine. I don't drink uh, beer. I don't really care about hockey. Sometimes I feel like, am I a fake Canadian? But seeing Worf having to not only prove to his Klingon brothers and sisters that he is, in fact, a true Klingon who wants to do all the Klingon things, he has to prove to his human friends and colleagues that, hey, he is a Starfleet officer. He's not just going to go off and kill somebody because he wanted to. He's going to follow the Starfleet way. But of course, Worf does actually end up doing some of those things. He does murder a one situation, which 
is within the, the bounds of Klingon law and tradition, but that does cause problems. But for the most part, Worf is pretty dependable, and his you know Starfleet friends and and colleagues know that hey, Worf is a good guy. Worf will do everything he needs to do, and he is very similar to humans in a lot of ways. So Worf always has to walk the line between proving that he's Klingon to other Klingons, but also proving that he is human enough in the sense that his Klingon beliefs will not override his actions when he's on the Enterprise or on DS9, um, and for the most part is shown to be very responsible. I don't know if that's the clearest way of saying it, but he's always had to walk the line between the two worlds, between his human heritage and his Klingon heritage, proving to both sides that he can be trusted and is equally human and equally Klingon, if that makes sense. I hope that's clear. But so seeing Worf having to go through that really helped me put it into perspective for myself. Not in the sense that, again, I don't have any sort of like new insights into how I'm feeling, but just being able to see someone else going through that and knowing that what I'm going through isn't something that is so unheard of has been very helpful. It helped me feel less like an outsider, I guess, even though I'm not really an outsider, but I I sometimes feel that way. But I feel like seeing Worf and seeing him go through that and watching Worf endure that struggle has has helped me normalize in a way to make it feel like it's not so crazy and what I'm doing isn't wrong or, you know, I'm not a failure. For example, about eight years ago now, I went over to the Dominican Republic for uh, volunteer work. I actually was at a, a summer camp. And this was in a small town called Cabrera. I was there for three months. I loved it. I had a lot of fun, met a lot of great people, but I definitely felt out of place because it was the first time in my life that I had seen so many people that looked like me, you know, same skin color, same kind of hair. I don't know if that's a great way of describing it, but they just looked like they were of the same origin. So that was great. But at the same time, I couldn't speak the language and... They also had different cultural norms than what I was used to. So while I looked like them, I felt really out of place as opposed to here where I don't look like a lot of people, but I fit in culturally and I fit in because I speak the language and I grew up here. So I'm basically Canadian. I'm your standard Canadian who is, I don't even know how to put it, but just whatever you think of, you think of Canadian, that's kind of what I am. But on an interpersonal level, I feel like, yeah, I fit in with a lot of people here because I'm of the same culture but I don't look like people. So it was a weird flip of going back to the DR and seeing people that look like me, but that I couldn't connect with on any sort of level because I didn't speak the language and I wasn't really familiar with the culture. And so that was a weird moment. And it really made me feel like, ah, I had failed. I should have learned uh, Spanish and People would suggest to me that, hey, you want to learn Spanish while you're here, all that stuff. No one really ever called me out for it except for one random security guard in Miami who said I should learn Spanish and kind of shamed me for it. But beyond that, no one really ever said I was doing anything wrong. But I kind of felt like, "Ah, am I being judged? Am I not doing the right thing? Should I have worked harder to, to learn Spanish when I was younger so I could fit in better? What was I doing? But then, of course, thinking about Worf, and because I was able to watch some Star Trek while I was down there, I had some on my on my Zune. I thought the Zune at the time was the coolest thing. I could put all my movies on there. I had Star Trek episodes, Star Trek movies, uh, Naked Gun, Trailer Park Boys, all this stuff. So it felt great. But of course, I was able to watch some Star Trek and definitely some TNG. So watching it at that time, even though I was much older, 
kind of helped me not feel like a failure. Just seeing that Worf was having the same struggle, even though Worf really did want to be Klingon and did go to the effort of learning Klingon and adopting all of the Klingon traditions and the views on honor. So he actually did the thing I felt like I should have done. But seeing that he had that same struggle really helped me feel less like a failure in that situation. And overall, I don't feel like I'm a failure or abnormal. I just kind of feel more more comfortable, I guess, is what I feel. I feel more comfortable with the situation because I've seen someone like Worf going through the same thing. And more recently, not to get into a whole tangent about the show This Is Us, but more recently, I started watching This Is Us and seeing the character of William, who is black, but adopted by a white family, and having to go through that kind of gave me even more perspective of of my own situation. But again, not on the same level of Worf, because I had that growing up, and, and being able to see Worf going through the same things I was going through and helping me name what I was experiencing really just helped me feel like I'm a normal person and that I'm not just so strange and so weird or even a failure. So I I really think, yeah, yeah, seeing Worf going through that really did help me and continues to help me to this day. Now, I don't know if this makes sense. I don't know how clear this is. I'm trying to be concise, but it's uh, a very strange topic, I think. But I just wanted to share those thoughts about Mr. Worf. And I'll always be grateful for Worf having helped me process his experience and really feel comfortable with who I am and who I've become. And now let's move into this week's edition of Wait, What Did You Say? So for this week, I thought it would make sense to talk about TNG since I've been talking about Worf. And recently I was watching the episodes Gambit Part 1 and Part 2. Both episodes I love Part two is especially important to me just because it was an episode that I had taped on VHS a long time ago as a kid. So I'd always watch part two and for some reason didn't tape part one. So Gambit part two was always a go-to episode for me, complete with 90s commercials, which I loved. And they're always fun. But anyways, great episode. But I want to talk about part one specifically because of some of the best technobabble in the franchise. And to give a brief summary of the episode, in case you don't know every single episode off by heart, and I know I always say that, but I always think it helps to give a bit of a summary. But this is the one where Riker and Picard are captured by mercenaries, and so Picard has to masquerade as Galen, an archaeologist who's a little bit sketchy, uh, well, not an archaeologist, but a smuggler, rather. And then Riker has to masquerade as Riker, but as a kind of a crappy second-rate officer who just wants money and doesn't give a Jimmy Crap corn about the Enterprise or his crew or about Starfleet. So it's it's a fun episode where they have to pretend to be bad guys and have to outwit the bad guys and get up to all kinds of shenanigans and, you know, all that usual stuff. But there's a scene near the middle of the episode where Picard creates engine failure on the mercenary ship so that Riker has to jump in and save the day and win over Baran, who is the captain of the ship. And I'm saying captain in air quotes because, well, he just has a control device that causes pain, but really people don't like him because he's kind of a bad leader. They don't trust him. But he's just in power because he can torture people whenever he wants and kill them by pressing a little button on his belt or on a remote that he has on his belt. doesn't matter. So basically, Picard set this failure up so that 
Riker could save the day and prove to Bran that, man, Riker's the kind of guy that we need on the ship. So I'm going to try reading this dialogue to you right now. I might mess this up because it's very, very complicated, even for Star Trek. There's too many characters in the scene, so I'm not going to be saying the name of each character, but basically you have uh, Bacard, you have Riker, you have Baran, um, you have Talera, who is the Romulan Vulcan first officer character, then you have Narek, who is sort of a whiny engineer guy who's not the best. He's not He's not LaForge, basically, is what I'm getting at. He's kind of, you know, just not the greatest engineer, but so he's there. And they're all they're all spitting out their techno babble, and everybody's panicking and pressing buttons. So the scene starts off. We're accelerating. We're accelerating. What have you done? It has nothing to do with my repairs. I think there's a malfunction in the engine's intermix chamber. Plasma pressure is rising. Where's the malfunction? It could be one of any thirty subsystems. It'll take time to locate. I don't think you're going to have the chance. Plasma pressure has reached critical levels. I can't seal the intermix chamber. I can. The override sequence won't engage. The antimatter flow regulator is locked open. Logic subsystem still not responding. And then Picard pushes Baran out of the way. Get out of the way. Plasma pressure has exceeded maximum levels. 8% above critical and rising. We have to jettison the core. No, we'll be stranded here. The flow regulator is frozen. And then this is when Riker jumps in. Let me do it. I've had a lot of experience with this sort of systems failure. I might be able to do something. Plasma pressure is 11% above critical. The containment fields are beginning to degrade. Go! Flow regulator is not responding to manual override. Containment fields won't hold much longer. Looks like you've got a control logic lockout in your regulator subsystem. I'm attempting to run an active bypass through the plasma flow converter. And I'm sorry about laughing, but this is just like, it's getting to be too much. And then he's like, you! Pointing at Narek and says, start running a phase lock feedback through that regulator. I want a six second delay. Narek, what are you saying? I don't take orders from you. You do as he says. Plasma pressure is 14% above critical. If you fail, we'll all be dead anyways. Just need a few more seconds. Plasma pressure is dropping. We're back into safe levels. If you want to make sure that doesn't happen again, you'd better reinitiate your regulator subcompressors. A full diagnosis of your intermix chamber wouldn't hurt either. And then Bran ends up by saying, do it. Put him in quarters for now. And then Riker looks at Picard and says, you still wish you killed me? With that smug Riker face, or expression rather. So I, I love that scene. I think it's so great for so many levels. One, it's it's Technobabble, which obviously is why I'm talking about it. But I love it because it's just so extreme for, I don't know, even a lot of the show. I felt like that whole scene just had more technobabble than usual. The other thing that I think is notable is the fact that it's Riker doing the technobabble. Usually it's Data or Geordi, maybe even Picard to a lesser degree, but usually it's not Riker who's doing all the science-y technobabble stuff. So it is a treat to see him using all the Star Trek words like regulators and subprocessors and logic error systems, whatever the heck it is that he just said. And I granted, these aren't actually Star Trek words, but the way they're using them make it feel like Star Trek. So it is fun seeing Riker being the one to to do all of that. And the third thing I want to mention that I think is great about the scene is that outside of Riker and Picard, the other characters that are doing the technobabble are aliens and are the bad guys. Usually we'd never really get to see the bad guys doing the same kind of technobabble. Usually it's 
It's the bad guys who are up to no good, who are causing shenanigans for the Enterprise, and then the Enterprise has to save the day by using Subtectum Babel so that they can get out of the situation and beat the bad guys. It's not often that we get to see the bad guys doing the Techno Babel thing. So I think that's all really great. It also really speaks to the resourcefulness, the fact that Picard was able to create the systems failure that he knew that Riker specifically would be able to fix. And the fact that Riker was able to get the hints without Picard saying, hey, Riker, uh, you got a, you got a solution for this? No, Riker was able to realize that that's what Picard was trying to do. So he's able to do it. And then by saving the ship, he's ultimately able to prove to Baran that he is a guy that you know, should be trusted and should be valued and is able to use that trust to eventually get back to the Enterprise and save the day. So I think it's a really great all-around scene. I love it because it's all technobabbly, but it's also cool that we get to have Riker in on it, who's not usually a technobabble guy. And it's also cool that the aliens in the episode are the ones that are sputting it out, unlike the, the usual characters that might be doing that on the Enterprise. So I think all of that's great. And again, very resourceful on Picard and very great that Riker was able to pick up on what Picard was trying to do. So great scene. I love it. I really like that episode. Uh, I love the way the um, the disruptors fire or I guess they're phasers because Talera calls it a phaser at one point in the episode. So maybe phasers, disruptors, whatever they are, the, the blue lights or not lights, but the blue beams are really cool. The sound they make are cool. And... <laughs> I gotta say, I love that firefight at the beginning. I love watching Wrecker get thrown back because the rocks were exploding. I think that was kind of funny. And I also just love how terrible everybody is. Like, the bad guys can't hit anything except for the one dude who's holding a tricorder in a really stupid way because he's an extra and doesn't, I don't think, was given great direction. And then you see Worf, who's firing a lot of phaser shots, but he's not hitting anyone. The other security officer is firing, but not hitting anything. And they're all they're all trying to look cool, but they just look terrible because they're bad. And, and it is one of the worst phaser fights in the entire series. Maybe the franchise, I'm going to do a video about that. But I love it. So there's so much I love about that episode. I highly recommend giving Gambit Part 1 and Part 2 a rewatch if you haven't seen it in a while. And if you haven't seen the episode, check it out. It, it's a lot of fun. You don't need a lot of backstory and context to appreciate it. So great episode. Love it. Highly recommend it. But what about you? Do you have anybody on Star Trek or any other shows that you relate to that have helped you process something or deal with an aspect of of your life or something that you find is emotionally challenging or something that has caused you stress, whatever it is, is there a character out there who's helped you deal with that? I'd love to hear from you. Also, let me know what you liked about the episode, what you didn't like, what you think I need to improve, because ultimately my goal is to make a show that you enjoy listening to. And in the paraphrased words of Captain Kirk, I shall see you out there. That away. <laughs>